0: As more evidence of atrocities emerges from Syria, it raises the possibility that President Bashar al-Assad could one day be indicted for war crimes by the International Criminal Court. David Scheffer is the former U.S. ambassador-at-large for war crimes issues. His book, All the Missing Souls recounts Sheffer's work on the war crimes tribunals for the Balkans, Sierra Leone, Rwanda, and Cambodia. Those courts help pave the way for the creation of the International Criminal Court, or the ICC. Sheffer says the threat of being indicted by the ICC may yet convince Assad to stop the atrocities in Syria.
1: It may be that he is not directly influenced yet by the ICC, but it is certainly an option that the Security Council now has before it, i.e. to refer Syria to the International Criminal Court, just as Libya was referred last year. And we know what the outcome was in Libya. So Assad must understand the possible implications of engagement by the International Criminal Court, if not you know, this week or next month, perhaps four or five months from now, Surely he is not so insulated from that reality that he doesn't recognize that he is running that risk.
0: Well, what about the fact, speaking of running, uh, somebody like Sudanese President Omar al-Bashir, who is still at large three years after uh, his arrest warrant was issued by the ICC?
1: But, you know, so many of these leaders who have been indicted by the war crimes tribunals over the last 17 years, whether it be in the former Yugoslavia, Rwanda, Sierra Leone, we go through many years – after indictment before they are brought into custody.
0: It doesn't knock the credibility of the court? Not
1: at all. No more than the federal courts of this uh, country or the state courts of this country, that their credibility is undermined by the fact that we have indicted fugitives for felonies in this country all over the landscape of America. Sometimes it takes many years to bring an indicted fugitive to justice.
0: There's one part at the beginning of the book where you recall... Standing before a young woman in Sierra Leone, her name is Nancy. Uh, this is 1999. Tell us what you saw and what you were thinking at the time.
1: Well, this was just after the wave of atrocities in Freetown, Sierra Leone, um, in early 1999, and Nancy was a very young woman uh, in the middle teens. She had been uh, gang raped and then. Uh, acid had been poured into her eyes. She was so traumatized that uh, she would not speak. But it was a very significant moment for me. I had an image so often when I was sitting at the Situation uh, Room table in the White House that my colleagues would actually see the the victims walk through that room the mutilated victims of Sierra Leone and and of so many other places just to remind them what this is all about that we're there to deal with their problems.
0: And what got in the way of that?
1: Yeah, so often what gets in the way are the the other priorities of foreign policy and military policy making where Certain agencies are asked to devote resources to address a very serious problem and they resist that because that means a lot of work and it also means perhaps even putting American military at risk to do so and that's not a very popular thing to do and also doing things that are rather
0: unconventional. Give us your best recollection of an incident with you in the Situation Room in Washington and what you were asking for that may have been kind of unconventional or outside the box.
1: Well, I I think the example that comes to mind is in Bosnia, where in 1993, 1994, early 1995, there were so many opportunities at that table for the United States to take a more assertive position on the ground in Bosnia, either by actually participating in the UN peacekeeping effort there with additional assets or by introducing an American or NATO-led force. We called it ultimately a rapid reaction force, but it was too late. Those kinds of proposals to actually put on the ground in the middle of the commission of atrocities, the kind of intervening force uh, to stop the killings uh, in Bosnia. It's very
0: unusual in the midst of an atrocity. Yes, and also
1: to use our air assets more effectively to do so. We had many proposals to put on the table to do that, and yet the resistance, which came from the very top uh, at that time, was considerable. And that was very frustrating because for someone in my position where I focused a lot on atrocities, as did my boss, Madeleine Albright. It's very frustrating to have to come out of those meetings and know that once again, effective action is truly not going to be undertaken.
0: You continue to fight this fight. You just got back from Cambodia, where you're dealing with a criminal court there. I wonder why you keep going the way you do and how you keep going the way you do especially given what you write about in this book, and it's even reflected on the cover here as you are strolling through a graveyard in Rwanda. The melancholy and the frustration and the kind of lonely fight comes through through the entire book.
1: I find it impossible for someone like myself who has witnessed so much of not only the contemporary but the aftermath of these atrocities in so many countries, it is simply not plausible for me to walk away from all of that and say, oh, I'll start a new life doing something else. You have to stick with this. The victims are so many, and you can't turn your back on it anymore. You have to keep plunging in.
0: David Sheffer was the first U.S. ambassador at large for war crimes issues. That's a post he held from 1997 to 2001. He writes about his experiences during those years in his new book called All the Missing Souls.